This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right? Oh yeah, I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well. Did you really? And how's that working out for you? I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD. There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love. Oh yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before and I was like oh because I was typing it out with her processing through it and usually I get angry when I type stuff out but I was like oh I was able to process it and work through it in a new way and you know what in a season of giving what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy in the season of giving give yourself what you need with better help Visit BetterHelp.com slash Survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Survivor. Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you're struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, Links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. 90 seconds after he initially started shooting, he shot into my classroom. So when the gunshots first went off, I knew what they were immediately. My dad and I used to go shooting together because he was an FBI agent. And I and the rest of my class just got up all at once and ran toward the window and all of the windows were across from our classroom door and our classroom door had like a glass panel in it so where we were was the worst spot to be in because if he just walked past our door he would see all of us hi survivors i'm tara newell and i'm collier landry and this is the survivor squad podcast yay another episode we're back we're back we're back. Happy New Year, everybody. Yes, Happy New Year. We had a much-needed break. Yes, we did for the holidays. Lots of stuff going on, but um, it gave you guys a, uh, a chance to get reacquainted with our older episodes and some of our favorite episodes, and now we are ready to deliver you. I mean, I don't know if you call it a second season, but we're, we have a whole slew of amazing Survivor interviews coming up this year in 2024 that we're ready to just showcase for you guys. Oh, yeah. No, I'm really excited because we have a lot of well-known survivors coming on. Yeah, we do. And it's really incredible to connect with so many. Well, just every survivor I'm excited to connect with. But it's even more exciting when you're a fan of them. Yes, exactly. And today we have Elizabeth Stout, who is the sur- a survivor of the Parkland shooting in Parkland, Florida that happened on February 14th, 2018, so six years ago. I can't believe it's been six years now since that happened, a a shooting in her high school. Yes. Yeah, committed by a former student who had had left the school and come back. And and so she tells a really harrowing story about, you know, the loss and dealing with uh, the community afterwards and in the aftermath. And it's just, it's a really incredible story. Yeah, no. And in this 
specific incident, there was 17 kids that lost their life that day, and then 17 kids were injured. Yeah, it's a lot. And not to mention, you know, the PTSD and all the, uh, just all the trauma that, that unfolds afterwards and just coping with it. And it's, it's a lot, as you know, you were, you know, you've dealt with it. I've dealt with it. You know, everybody that we talk to on this program for the most part has dealt with it in one way or another. And of course, everyone's case is different, but um, yeah. So um, what do you say we get into Elizabeth's story? Yes, let's get into it. Elizabeth, so why don't we talk a little bit about EMDR because I know how, I don't know the word for it. It's just, it's a real win. <laughs> it is. But it's helpful. <laughs> it It is worse before it gets better, for sure. Yeah. I, um, I started EMDR, I want to say May or June. So shooting happens Valentine's Day. I start therapy about a week after and my psychologist diagnoses me with acute stress disorder um, because that's just like a couple weeks after a traumatic event. Um, But once those symptoms persist and amplify, then that becomes PTSD. So I got that diagnosis in March or April and my psychologist had gone to an EMDR workshop and came back and she brought back these tappers that you hold on to and they vibrate and it was so weird when she was like, you're just going to hold these and they're just going to vibrate and you're going to talk about the shooting from beginning to end with your eyes closed. And I was like, okay, <laughs> sure, no problem. <laughs> but I did that sometimes up to three times a week because at that point, I was not going to Stoneman Douglas anymore. I was finishing, I think, like two credits online. So I had a lot of time. So I spent a lot of time in therapy and... We also were kind of in this crunch time because I was going to the University of Florida in August and I really wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. I was very reactive to my surroundings. And so she thought that EMDR would be the best thing. And so, yeah, I would hold on to these tappers that would vibrate and I would just have my eyes closed and she would just let me talk and talk and talk. And sometimes she would let me go over. But talking about the worst day of your life is quite mentally taxing. And I would just come home like white, just so pale and almost looking lifeless. And my mom would just take one look at me and be like, go to bed. You need to, you need to rest. And I hated EMDR. I thought it was a chore, but then I realized by the time I got to UF, I felt a lot better with the physical triggers. I think once I got to college, it was very much of a, like a mental battle that I really needed help with, but no one really knew how to help at that time. Was it re-traumatizing going back to college? Do you think that EMDR is kind of forever ending? Or do you think that that you get to like a place and then you're good? Well, we did EMDR that summer and she stayed in South Florida. I went to Gainesville and 
I, I think I still needed EMDR, but I was just doing trial and error with a bunch of different therapists that just weren't, they weren't the right fit for me. And I think I had tried EMDR with another therapist and it just wasn't working. And by the time COVID happened um, and telehealth was very much a thing, I had reached out to that original psychologist I had. And I was like, can we please start working together again? Even virtually, we can do EMDR. And so that's what we started doing. EMDR virtually was very weird. Um, I think I did that my junior year of college, but it's helpful. And we fall back on it. Not frequently, not as much as internal family systems therapy, but it's definitely a good tool that I appreciate now. I was going to say, um, what exactly, you know, you both have done EMDR therapy. I have never done it. Um, I just know there's lights and you were saying the vibrating paddles. What exactly is, is EMDR for those of us that don't really know? Sure. From both of you guys. It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And what that means is after a traumatic event, you have a lot of these emotions trapped in your limbic system. It's like your fight or flight. And so you can't ever really calm down or be in the right state of mind. And for me, if I would talk about Parkland, I'd start shaking and crying and sweating. And I could not come down after these triggers. And EMDR will take those memories and push them to the front of your brain, where your frontal lobe is where you're understanding things and you're able to logically put things together. And so the the bilateral stimulation, it can either be your eyes moving back and forth following a light, or it can be the vibration going from one hand to another. And it's just all of those memories are moving to a different part of your brain. Because your body will go into these fight or flight reactions and then it helps you process through that so that you don't get to that fight or flight or freeze or fawn reaction whenever those triggers come up. Yeah. I love EMDR, but I also want to know a little bit about the other therapy that you just mentioned because I've actually never heard of that. Oh, I love, okay. IFS therapy is also, it stands for internal family systems. And it's basically this, it's like this concept that we have so many different sub personalities and parts to us. And I found myself when I would talk to my therapist, I would tell her a part of me really feels like I'm healing and I'm doing really well. And like, I could acknowledge the work that I've done, but then there would be really angry parts or really, really sad parts that I had kind of neglected. And I wouldn't really let those parts show. I would just like shove down any sort of sadness, especially. And when I would not let that sadness show, anger would just come out instead because it was like a kind of a, this protection mechanism. And I was so angry for so long and it was just a really unhappy time in my life because I made the people that really loved and cared about me very concerned. They were just like, who is Liz? Why does she act this way? Why is she almost unpredictable in a sense? And when you work with these parts in IFS, my therapist will have me just relax, close my eyes. We take really deep breaths to start and just be calm. And then we let all of the parts that want to come up, come up. And so you just kind of say whatever comes up and then 
she'll kind of dissect that with me and be like, well, what does this part say about this? How does this part feel when this happens? And it's like understanding just like the dynamics of your mind and how your different parts will interact with each other. Um, but it ultimately leads to just harmony and healing in your brain and having a lot more self-compassion about just who you are and the way you function. So I do IFS almost biweekly at this point. I love hearing about this. I want to try this now. And it sounds like kind of connects the right and the left hemisphere of the brain in a sense. I have no idea, honestly. Um, for me, it's it was a lot about having that self-compassion and giving yourself grace because I was always just like, I don't like this new Liz. I want to go back to the old Liz. I don't like who I am, basically. Like I had this true internal crisis of wanting to go back to somebody that no longer existed anymore. And I felt really insecure about that. And so it kind of translated into me being insecure in a lot of my relationships and friendships with people because I didn't even like myself. So why would they like me and why would they want me in their lives? And that I think was the starting point of my IFS. I think it started with me having a lot of social anxiety and then realizing that that had to do with me not really getting myself that grace and that self-compassion and, and respect basically. I think that can be a really tough place to get to, you know, you know, when you go through these events, at least in my experience, I guess for me, I wasn't, you were 18. So I was 12 or 11, 12, you know, Tara was 25. We're all like in this weird, like six year bracket, right? With all of our traumas, right? I was 12. I mean, essentially, I was like one month from my 12th birthday. You're, I believe, what, 18, right? And Tara was 25. Yes. So that's like sort of like, it's kind of interesting. And the different ways we process, right? Like you're, I'm not even in adolescence yet. So I'm, my world changing just becomes my world that I li I, I'm now living in, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, you're entering into adulthood or adulthood and you, your whole world is then all of a sudden changed and the person that you've been developing for that for those years is now changed. Tara was in a situation where she was well into adulthood and she is then forced to reassess adulthood. So it's it, it, it's kind of a it's a unique like these unique stages in, in all of this. you know, I don't know. that just occurred to me just on how that and how we all react. And it, it's interesting to hear all of our perceptions. I mean, we're all going to be interviewing one another. So we'll all hear each other's unique perception of that and our reaction to trauma. I feel like we are all a case study right here in this particular group right now. Seriously. For sure. I, I think for myself, I still mourn that child that was like lost, right? That just never got to have that normal childhood, you know, that was now confronted with dealing all of that. Um, would you say that you were sort of mourning like a childhood tarnished? Absolutely. I, I always think of my 17 year old self as someone that never left that classroom because I feel like my soul was just left there and a, an entire new person ran out. That makes total sense. And I'm sure for all of us, there's pros and cons of the, the trauma happening at that age. I, I think the biggest impact was the fact that I was in that transition period when you go to college and that's the time where you figure out who you are and 
you meet all of these new people, but I couldn't leave my dorm. I didn't want to meet people because a lot of the symptoms in PTSD are just insecurity and self-doubt and self-isolation. And I wasn't even recognizing that I was having really bad PTSD, but I was, I did not have a college experience. And on top of that, I had COVID. So I like doubled, did not have a college experience. And I, I grieve my 17 year old self so much. And I kind of like live for her now. And then I also acknowledge the fact that I didn't really have a college experience. And I feel like since I've been like 22, especially as a 23 year old, I have never gone out with my friends as much as I do now. And now I'm like, okay, like this is me taking back my college experience. Like, yes, I'm going out every weekend, but it's really fun for me. I've never done this. And it's like, it's just a new experience. And when I was 17, I wanted to move to Washington, D.C. And when I did move here and I was on my own, I was just so proud of myself because I felt like that I was doing it for her. And I don't know. I just like tried to I tried to live for 17 year old list sometimes. I love that. And I just when I heard you're in Washington, D.C. doing what you're doing, I was like, oh, man, she's a bad bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was like, also like you're living that adult life. You're just like out there, you know, and I, you know, you're not even at the point where my major, major trauma is, you know, because that was like 25, right? You're like 24, 23, you know, so it like. There's just so much to do and so much to have fun. And I'm just like, I want to be where you're at right now. <laughs> well, I like my life right now, too. But <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, like, I'm sitting here going, you're fucking kidding me, right? You're not literally having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love, you know, 23 it's a- seems like a whole other life ago. It's such me. a fun time. I feel like 23 is like the perfect age, you know? It's, it's also the first time I truly have no idea what I'm doing. Like truly, I when I was 22, I was like joking around like, haha, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm not contributing to society. But now I'm like genuinely, <laughs> what are taxes? <laughs> what is a 401k? Like, I don't know these things. So it, adulthood's hard. Oh, yes, it is. It yes, is. it is. Um. <laughs> But to that to that note, you know, obviously there's there's three different age brackets here, generation brackets. Um, do you do you feel that young people in your in your demographic, do you feel that you guys are all sort of feeling the same way about life and politics and societal norms and um, perceptions and and growing up in this sort of like. You know, for for our purposes or our conversation, the the sh- school shooting era, if you will, do you guys all talk about that and how that all affects you and has affected your upbringings? I have. Uh... This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tara. As you know, I've been going back to therapy, and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right? Oh yeah, I went back to therapy, and I went back to BetterHelp as well. 
Did you really? And how's that working out for you? I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD. There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love. Oh, yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before and I was like oh because I was typing it out with her processing through it and usually I get angry when I type stuff out but I was like oh I was able to process it and work through it in a new way and you know what in a season of giving what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy in the season of giving give yourself what you need with better help Visit BetterHelp.com slash Survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Survivor. A girl group of friends that I've been friends with since middle school, and we still talk every single day, and we all live in different areas, but we talk about just our upbringing in South Florida and just the, the culture down there and... After the shooting, the community just became very polarized. And then the year after the shooting, there was two suicides. One of them, one of the girls was in that friend group. And so all of us had just experienced so much loss growing up from, from middle school to now. I mean, in middle school, our friends lost their moms and then... We got to high school and the shooting happens. And then after that, Sydney took her own life. And we, I think, really bonded over all of that loss and really understand each other and where we come from. And I think we also acknowledge that we are in this school shooting era for sure. And also social media really affecting just a lot of society and the way people talk to each other and perceive one another. And we definitely all notice it. Um, but I'm really grateful to have that group of friends because I don't have good friends like that anywhere else. Like those girls are definitely, they're like family pretty much. You said something about one of your friends committing suicide. Did it have anything to do with the PT was she involved in the school shooting at all like was she there she I don't know where she was I know she wasn't I don't think she was in the 1200 building um but one of the the victims of the Parkland shooting her name was Meadow Pollock and she was friends with a lot of the friends in that group that I was referring to they had all grown up together from like elementary school and middle school um and so Sydney was really impacted by, I think, Meadows' death in particular. But Sydney also had stuff even before the shooting. Um, so I think it was just a bunch of really unfortunate circumstances that overwhelmed her and led her to do what she did. Um, but yeah, that was my that was my freshman year of college. So it was just like loss after loss after loss, and the only people I could turn to were my family or those group of girls and 
I even saw one of them yesterday in New York City. Like we're all just true, true family. Well, I'm so sorry that that happened to your friend and then after such trauma too. And, you know, I'm happy that you have that group of friends and that you guys can all bond and go through it with each other in a sense. Mm -hmm. And I hate that you guys had to go through that, but I'm happy you guys at least had each other. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Just because one of the steps of healing, I feel like, is being able to relate to others in a sense. Do you feel like that was the next step in the healing journey as well? For sure. And I had another group chat form after the shooting um, with different girls. It was three or four girls from the classroom I was in it, from the shooting. And we would just text all of the time and be like, I am feeling really weird and I don't know why. And then we would all try to figure it out together. Um, because right after the shooting, everything was just so foreign. It was just like, I don't know why I feel this way. I don't know why I, I haven't eaten in a week. I don't know why all of these things are happening. And so you kind of ask the other person and when they validate you, it's just like, oh my God, like I don't feel like a freak anymore. Like someone else is dealing with something I'm dealing with. And so I have that group chat too and their family too. It's just some really good people in the South Florida community um, that I've learned are just so, so genuine and just so, they're just people I would never want to lose or not be in my life anymore. Like they're just amazing. I love that. I love the community that, you know, the good people in the community come forward. Mm -hmm. Can I ask something? You had said your um you had said that your community became sort of bifurcated or or polarized um after the events. I I I guess I'm having a little bit of trouble with that. Well, it was like the it was like the gun and mental health issue. Half of So the, that was it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cuz it was immediately Why did he have an AR15? And he was 19 years old. And then yeah. it, the other half was, well, look at his upbringing. He was crazy and he needed help. It was clearly a mental health problem. And I just remember like kids marching to our school from other high schools about gun violence. But then you would also have other groups of people talking about mental health. And I just remember so many fights on social media between different different parents on different sides and it was like guys 17 people were killed like what well, yeah it, i I don't, I don't care what what your opinion is on this like we need to come together as a community just to honor all of those victims like why are we fighting each other i don't know so i kind of removed myself from all of that shortly after and then removed myself from the state <laughs> It, 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 the reason why I was asking this is I think this is obviously a massive ramification of trauma in my situation, which we will we get into in my episode of, of your podcast. But, you know, my family ha was also polarized. My mother's side of the family not, wanted nothing to do with me because I looked like my father in their eyes. And my father's side of the family wanted nothing to do with me because I wouldn't recant my statements and say that my father, that I was making it all up. So 
it, it's interesting to see like how people cope with trauma. And instead of focusing on like, okay, here's what's going on. We're like, we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And then, and then the, the victims, or in this case, you guys as the survivors or myself as a survivor are left figure out, okay, why can't anyone take care of us? Right. And rally around us and rally around the victims. And, and why can't we, why can't we bond over that? Why can't that be the conversation? Yeah. I remember going to the March in Washington, DC. It was like a month after the shooting. And I mean, it was millions of people who were, you know, I remember mostly talking about gun reform and stuff, but what was so bizarre to me was that they played footage of the shooting on these massive screens with massive speakers. And I like lost my mind, obviously, because it that no one said anything. Like it just came on. And I'm like, guys, we're at a march for cut like of this shooting, and then you're playing it. And I remember my sister had just like totally grabbed my head and like held me down and was like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then once it was over, it like celebrities came out to sing. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> What is this March? It was just so yeah. bizarre. I don't wow. know. It was just a weird time. That's really weird. That's like way to not be trauma informed. It was, That's, yeah, it was, it was honestly like 2018 was the weirdest time of my life. It was so weird. You're just like, is this really happening right now? Oh my god, I would be so traumatized from that. Um, and I would, I would yell, and not, I would write a letter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> would you send flying monkeys out? Not so much, but I would write a letter. You know, <laughs> you know. Have you seen white chicks? No. <laughs> they write like a letter because the guy is like an FBI agent. It's a great movie. You should watch it. It's like a great like comic relief whenever you're just out of it because you're just, oh, I'm going to go write a letter to someone. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. White chicks. Yeah. Okay. You're doing so much now. Tell us a little bit about like what you're doing, what you're trying to do, your podcast, just everything. Yeah. So after the shooting, I went to the University of Florida and somehow graduated on time with a political science and anthropology degrees. And then I had interned in Washington, D.C. my senior year, and I just fell in love with it. I knew I didn't want to leave, and I knew that 17-year-old Liz would want this. And so I moved to D.C. after I graduated with my bachelor's, and I, at the time, was a personal trainer. Just was very lost in life, and I didn't know what I wanted to do full-time. And so I personal trained. And then this past year, I started working for a veterans research nonprofit. Um, so now I do their communications and their public policy. So like I'll advocate for them pretty much. Um, and then outside of my job, I am also in graduate school online. I'm still at the University of Florida. It's just a 100% online program for mass communication. And I'm specializing in public interest communications um, to make social change or to learn strategic strategies of making social change. And then I just started a new podcast in August called Trigger Therapy that was to let survivors talk about 
how gun violence had impacted them because you always hear about their stories, but how do you heal after that? How do you even go about healing? Like, what's the first step? How hard was it for you? What did that look like? So I started to do that. And then I kind of opened it up recently to just any trauma because I feel like any trauma is can have a really crazy story. But for me, it's fascinating to hear about the aftermath for people because it's just like, even with both of you, I could I could look at you and be like, how did you even partake in anything like days after or weeks after? And it's just how do people go about that? And I want to hear those conversations. And so that why that's why trigger therapy was born. That's very cool, though. You're turning your trauma into purpose, your pain into purpose, right? That's what it's all about. Yeah, I definitely had tried to work for gun reform groups and applied to so many different nonprofits and stuff. And I never was fully comfortable doing it because it was always kind of re-traumatizing in a way. And I don't think I realized that. Um, But I was really just wanting to find my own form of advocacy. And I feel like storytelling is just the best thing for me right now. 100%. I, I, as someone who did that with their life, I can tell you 100% that that's going to do it <laughs> without question. Yes. No, I think that what you're doing is just amazing. Your podcast is just on point, you know, and so aligned with ours in every way. And so I just really enjoyed meeting you. And I hope that you're able to come to California soon for something. And then we get to meet up because, you know, I just love your energy. Oh, Tara, I love your energy too. Okay, I'll come to California right now. <laughs> okay, come. <laughs> Let's hang I have out. a spare bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. That's so kind. And I'll be your chaperones for both of you. Okay. Yes. Sounds good. <laughs> or maybe you'll have to be my chaperone. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll go to Elefante because that's a vibe. That's a vibe. Oh, uh-huh. and I, I can meet Marisol. Yay! You can meet Marisol, the troublemaker herself. Yes. yes. And Dixon. They're two, two best peabods. Oh. <laughs> she likes to bite him all over his face. Oh. And then he's just like, okay. Oh. It's a weird friendship. <laughs> yeah, it's a very he... odd friendship. But he's very, he's a good sport. Yes. He's a good sport. She's a nut job. <laughs> We love her to death, but she's a nut job. Yes. Well, where can we find your podcast? Do you on social media? Yeah, you can find the podcast wherever you listen to them. Um, Spotify, Apple, whatever. And then our Instagram page is Trigger Therapy Podcast. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining the program today. Thanks for having me, you guys. I always say to Tara and all our guests, we are all a part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of. Well, we are all a part of the Survivor Squad. Hell yeah. Right? Hell yeah. Elizabeth Stout, thank you so much for joining the program. Thank you. Well, that's a pretty incredible story, isn't it, Tara? Yeah, no. I can't believe living through that and seeing all the dead bodies on the floor. That's something that really stuck with me. I literally was crying and I know you were crying during that part as well. Yeah, it's really tough. And you know, also the flip side of that, like her being accused and other 
other students who were there being accused of being crisis actors. I mean, that's beyond the pale. I can't believe that anyone would even say that. They would think that someone would make something like this up. It's just, it's absolutely incredible to me that people would think that or try to to put that on, on their kids. They're high school kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know she's a young woman now, but she was a kid. And these were kids whose lives were taken and, and obviously uh, a faculty as well. But what a just... Uh, what a horrible thing to to have to go through, and then to have on top of that people question question your your uh, your recollection of events is just on a national scale is really is really tough to deal with, and so I commend her with it. And obviously, she's turned her pain into purpose by making the Trigger Therapy podcast, which is something that's uh, you know her next next uh, the next evolution of her journey. Yeah, no, and I'm excited for our episodes that were on there. We really got to connect and really bond over it. And then she just informed me today, actually, that she's not going to do another season just because trauma is really hard to deal with. And trauma is hard to talk about a lot of the times. Yeah, well, I mean, look, she did a great job with her first season, and I hope that she, you know, felt fulfilled. And um, it was great to interview with her and have her on the show. So uh, we will have links to all of Elizabeth's social media and things like that in the show notes of today's episode. And if you want to learn more about her or support her causes, uh, you can do that as well. Yeah, and if you guys also want to know what we've been up to during our break, you guys can go to our Patreon, check it out. There's a video about Collier bringing me to his hometown. Yes, in Mansfield, Ohio. <laughs> you sound so excited about Mansfield, Ohio. <laughs> I Well, I, I do love all my Mansfield people, and I am very happy that the community was supportive of me growing up, but I, but I will tell you that... Um, I'm glad that I moved on. <laughs> I'm glad I live in Los Angeles and the weather is a lot warmer and a lot better. And I enjoy the life that I have created here and I'm very grateful for it. But you never forget where you come from. But True. sometimes it's important to go back and go, hey, this is why I this is why I moved on to bluer skies and, and better weather, sunnier weather. True. Yeah. Well, anyways. On that note, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. See ya. The Survivor Squad Podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.